0: Hosea chapter number 1. I'm going to read all of chapter number 1 and then the first 7 verses of chapter number 2. And I want you to pay close attention to the narrative that is given to us. "...the word of the Lord that came unto Hosea the son of Beri in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And in the days of Jeroboam the son of Joash, king of Israel." "...the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms, and children of whoredoms. For the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblim, which conceived and bare him a son. The Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel, "...for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass at that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again, and bare a daughter. And God said unto him, Call her name Ruhamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel." but I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses, nor by horsemen. Now, when she had weaned lo she conceived and bare a son, then said, God, call his name Lo-Ami. For ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, ye are the sons of the living God. Then said the children of Judah and the children of Israel Then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together, and appoint themselves one head, and they shall come up out of the land. For great shall be the day of Jezreel. Verse number 1 of chapter 2. Say ye unto your brethren, Ami, and to your sisters, Rama. Uh, plead with your wife, your mother, plead. For she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight, and her adulteries from beneath, between her breasts. Lest I strip her naked and set her as in the day that she was born, "...and make her as a wilderness, and set her like a dry land, and slay her with thirst. And I will not have mercy upon her children, for they be the children of whoredoms. For their mother hath played the harlot, she that conceived them hath done shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, mine oil and my drink. Therefore, behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns." and make a wall, that she shall not find her paths. And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she say, and I want you to underscore this, I will go and return to my first husband, for then was it better with me than now. I want to read that again. Uh, then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, For then was it better with me than now. Would you pray with me this evening? Heavenly Father, I come as Your servant, Lord. I don't come as a superstar, but I come as Your servant. Lord, I don't come as a great man of politics or a great man of oratory ability, but Father, I do come as Your child and as Your preacher. And I'd ask, Father, that You would give unction to the preaching tonight, that Your Holy Spirit would cause the preached Word to be sharp and powerful, effectual in the hearts of your people. Father, we need a touch from you. We need a breath from heaven. We need a drink, Lord. We need your presence. And we'd ask, Father, that you would accomplish this and do so in a way that would give only you glory. If there's one amongst us that's lost, Lord, show them their lost state and convict them. And Father, let us all, when we leave this place, Lord, help us to know that we've met with you, we've heard from you, And we've obeyed You. Father, we love and thank You for it. We do ask it in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. I've given special emphasis to the phrase in verse 7, For then was it better with me than now. I read the entire first chapter and uh, the first seven verses of the second chapter to give you a bit of background and context to the passage that is laid before us. Hosea is a prophet of Jehovah. And he's been commissioned and commanded of God to take a wife of whoredoms. The purpose for this was that God was going to show a parallel example of the way that the children of Israel had treated their God. The way that Gomer treated Hosea. And there's much that I won't say about it tonight that I believe deserves saying in other sermons because it's not the thrust of our message. But can I just say that every single prophecy of the Word of God that's supposed to have been fulfilled already has been fulfilled exactly as God said it would. And this mirrors exactly how the children of Israel were living. But tonight, I don't want to look at this in a, a typological or a pictorial way. But I want to take a moment and look at the life of Gomer. And I want to hone in on this phrase that she said, then was it better for me than for now? And I'd like to preach to you a message that I've titled very simply, It Ain't Like It Used To Be. You know, the year 2012 was an interesting year, both for me personally, and I'm sure for many of you personally, but also politically, spiritually, it was a fascinating year. And there's a tendency when it comes time for the new year, to throw away the old year and look forward to the new year. Now, I'm not opposed to that. I'm thankful that uh, the calendar rolls over. I'm thankful when we've messed up one day, uh, except the Lord take us home, He gives us another one to serve Him in. I'm, I'm thankful for a clean slate by the blood of Christ. But let me also say that God consistently in His Word exhorts us to remember, to look backward over what's taken place, and gain something from it. And I'd like to preach with a simple theme tonight, and that is this. I want you to think back to uh, the beginning of January in 2012, and I want you to ask yourself this question. Was it better for me then than it is now? Where have I come in the past year in my walk with Christ, in my commitment to Him? Am I closer than I used to be? Or am I farther away? Gomer takes a few moments and stops and evaluates her situation and says to herself, you know, it used to be better than it is now. When I was at home with my husband, it was better than it is now. When I was true to the love of my life, it was better than it is now. When I was standing alongside the man of God and the prophet, it was better than it is now. And she says, there is cause to return. I'd like to give you just a few reasons why I think that for her, it was better then than it is now. And I'd like for you to ask yourself if this might be true of you. I want to say, number one, that one of the reasons that for Gomer, it had been better for her before than it was at this time, was because she was closer to her love. Now, I understand that it was prophesied that she'd be a wife of whoredoms, but every single person in this world has free will decision. And though God had foreordained that such would be the providential history of Hosea and Gomer, still Gomer made the choice to leave home, to leave her husband, and to become a wife of whoredoms. And I'd say to you that if you were to ask Gomer today and say, Gomer, what's one of the things that you miss most about the way your life was? She'd probably say, I, I miss waking up with my husband every day. I miss hearing someone say, I love you, that meant it. I miss the look on my child's faces whenever I would come to them in the morning. I miss what it was like to be close to the person I love. You know the Bible says of the church at Ephesus. That they had gone through a similar change. The Bible says of the church at Ephesus. That they came to a time when they left their first love. And I'd like to ask you tonight. Do you believe that you love Christ as much or more today than you did a year ago? Love is something that because of iniquity waxes cold. The Bible is very clear what the source of our cold love can be, and it's because of sin in our lives. The Bible does not say that the church at Ephesus, that their first love left them, but that they left their first love. And let me say that any time you take a step away from God, or any time you find yourself a step further from God, it's a step that you've taken, and not a step that He's taken. I like what the Bible says about Christ, that He went a little further. And you know, Christ is always going a little further. But the sad truth of it is this. He's gone all the way. And it's us who walks away most of the time. And we find of Gomer that she had stepped away and lost the tenderness of this love that she had had. We see in the passage that Hosea goes to his children and says, children, I want you to go and plead with your mother. Go, the very tenderest emblems of the affections of her mother's heart, go and plead with her to come home. And Gomer said, no, I'm not interested. You know, the truth of the matter is, some of the stuff that we have in our everyday lives today, when we first got saved, would have convicted us enough to brought us to tears. We've grown calloused and desensitized to sin. We look on the television. There's things on television today uh, that's on primetime television that 50 years ago you would have had to have gone into a dark movie theater to see. And we know that's the truth. There's language today that's used on television that you wouldn't have heard in any place but a ballroom or a pool hall. That was the only place you would have heard something like that. But now we've just become used to it. You know what's happened? We've just become desensitized. Because of iniquity, these things have caused our love to wax cold. And we're no longer tender and sensitive to our first love. Let me say that she not only lost the tenderness that she had, but she lost the proximity of Him too. Gomer did not just leave home in her heart, but she left home in reality as well. There was a physical distance between her and Hosea. And I wonder this, are you as sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit today as you were a year ago? Do you long for the presence of God today? like you did a year ago? Do you wake up in the morning wanting nothing more than Him to be with you all day and for Him to walk and talk with you? Or have you just grown accustomed to the distance? Uh, the truth of the matter is, it used to be old saints of God would meet to have church and they just sit there and pray until God moved. They didn't get up and start at 11 o'clock sharp and end at 12 o'clock dull. They, they, they prayed and sought God's face and waited for God to move. Now, for most of us, sad to say, God's got at the most an hour and a half window to move within, and if He don't, we're going to Shoney's. You know, that's the day that we live in. We find that we're satisfied with that distance. Satisfied to go without God convicting us. Satisfied to go without God speaking to us. Satisfied to spend time away from the Lord. I want to say that she lost the closeness to the love of her life. And as Christians, we ought to be closer today than we were at the beginning of January in 2012. We ought to love God more today than we ever have. We ought to long for Him more today than we ever have. You say, oh, preacher, it's a difficult day we live in. Yeah, I know it's a difficult day that we live in, but listen, the higher the floodwaters grow, the tighter you'll cling to that life preserver. The more wicked it gets in this world. That ought not drive the believer away from Christ, but towards Him. It ought to bring us closer to our love. But I want to give you a second thing tonight. I want to say that when she was home, she was consecrated in her living. She was the wife of a prophet, the wife of a man of God. I don't know, and by the way, I don't fancy myself a prophet, and if I'm a man of God, uh, it's got more to do with the God of the man than it does the man of God. But nobody but a pastor's wife really understands many of the things that she goes through I'll be honest with you, there's some ways that it's harder on my wife to be in the ministry than it is for me. You say, why is that, preacher? Well, because every time that I get hurt, both I get hurt and she gets hurt. You see, she has to see every battle that I fight. She has to see every wound that's inflicted. It's hard. It's hard. And I don't say that for pity in any way, but I just say that only to say that there was a time when Gomer stood in that position as the wife of a man that was publicly standing in ministry. She had probably lived a very clean life. She had probably lived a very consecrated life. Probably there was a time when Gomer wouldn't have been seen in the attire of a harlot, but in modest clothing. There was a time probably when Gomer would have not been heard to use foul language, but to sing the songs of Zion. There was a time, no doubt, when Gomer would not have been seen in houses of ill repute, but only in the Lord's house. But now this time had passed, and she was no longer consecrated in the way that she lived. I want to make a statement that most of you have heard, but you know some statements are good to just make over and over again. There are things to... I don't understand how something could have been wrong when 50, 50 years ago when you all were children... Uh, or, uh, you know, young adults, or I don't know how old y'all are, but uh, I don't know why it is that something was wrong 50 years ago and it's right today. That doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand how dress standards were right 50 years ago that are wrong today. I don't understand how modesty was right 50 years ago and it's wrong today. I don't understand how old-timey music was right 50 years ago And it's wrong today. I'm not a real bright person. I'll be the first to admit that to you. But we have an unchangeable God. And it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me when I look at this world and I see what's accepted in the house of God today. And when I say to myself, if God was disgusted with it 50 years ago, do we not think He's disgusted with it today? I wonder if you're as consecrated. I wonder if you allow things in your home today that you wouldn't have allowed in your home in January of 2012. I wonder if there's language you use today you wouldn't have used in January of 2012. Music you listen to, movies you watch, things that you look upon you wouldn't have looked upon in January of 2012. Or let's go back a little farther. What about the first time that you were saved? What about when you would consider to be the pinnacle of your Christian walk? What about that time you got up from that altar with tears in your eyes and had sold out and given Jesus Christ everything? Have you lost ground since that day? Are you less consecrated today than you were at that time? I believe Gomer looked at it. You know that sin makes you feel dirty? I I don't know about you. It's kind of quiet. Maybe you all don't feel that way. When I do wrong, I feel convicted. And there's a dirty feeling about sin. And you've done something wrong. You know it's wrong. And there's a dirty feeling about sin. And don't you wonder if Gomer thought, boy, it'd be nice to feel clean again. It'd be nice to feel like what I did was pleasing to my husband and pleasing to God. But sad to say, it was better then for than it was whenever she was speaking this. I wonder tonight what it is in your life that you've just given a little slack on, eased up a little bit on, Wonder what area of your life it is. It could be your uh, dress standards. It could be the things that you listen to and the things that you watch. It could be your giving. It could be your faithfulness. But whatever it is, I'd like to ask you this question: Why do you reckon you? Why do you reckon you step back about it? What do you think caused you? Let me ask you something: Whenever we begin to give less to the Lord, who do you think causes us to give less? Do you think it's the Lord? Whenever we begin to allow sin into our life and and, and to slack about those convictions, uh, who do you think is behind that? Do you think the Lord's pleased with it? I tend to believe it's not the Lord. I tend to believe that the devil's behind that. I wonder tonight if you're as consecrated in your living as you used to be. I'll give you one last thing. When they tell a Baptist preacher there's cake and ice cream waiting, that's about the only way to get them close early. Amen. But I want to give you a final thing. I want to say that it was better for her before than it was at this time, not only because she was closer to her love, and not only because she was consecrated in her living, but I want to say it was because she was committed to her Lord. As a wife of a man of God, as a person in public ministry, no doubt she was willing to pay the price and pray the price. No doubt she was willing to spend nights up in prayer. No doubt she was willing to suffer persecution for the name of the Lord. No doubt she was willing to do without that the Lord's work might flourish. And I wonder if she just says to herself, you know, life seems so empty when you're not living for anything but yourself. Life seems so empty when the greatest cause you have is your own pleasure. You know that each and every one of us are called to be disciples, every one of us. We're called to be disciples. Disciple is not synonymous with born again. There's a lot of people that are born again that are not disciples of Jesus Christ. To be born again means that you've been washed in the blood of Christ, born again by the Spirit of God. It means you've been redeemed, it means that you've been saved. But disciple is something altogether different. In the New Testament, whenever Christ wanted to make disciples, he did not take our approach today. Sad to say, most people when they want to make disciples today, because they made discipling and salvation or evangelism synonymous one with the other, they try to take the easiest approach that they can. What did our Lord say about being a disciple? He said, if you're going to love me, you're going to have to hate your mother and your father. If you're going to serve me, you're going to have to forsake all and follow me. People came with excuses. They said, well, you don't understand, Lord. I, you know, I'm waiting on my, my father. I, I'm taking care of him in his old age. And, and after he dies, I, then I'll need to... Christ said, let the dead bury their dead. Follow me. Man came to him and said, what must I do to be saved? I've kept all these commandments as a child from my childhood up. And he said, sell everything. Give to the poor and follow me. And he went away sorrowing. The truth of the matter is, it's not easy to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It takes sacrifice and it takes commitment. I'll tell you the most dangerous word to the New Testament church today, and that is comfortable. Comfortable. We have made that the criterion for what we do for God. I'll do something for God if it's comfortable, if it's convenient. For some reason, we're so, uh, brass and so arrogant that we believe if something interferes with our convenience, God has asked too much of us. That's how we feel today. Uh, I'll say, I'll make a bold statement, and you can like it if you want, if not, you don't have to. I want to say that if, if you're not giving till it hurts, you're not giving enough. If you're not praying till it inconveniences you, you're not praying enough. If you're not reading your Bible until it cuts into your leisure time, you're not reading your Bible enough. If you're only coming to church when it's convenient to do so, you're not coming to church enough. The benchmark of the satisfaction of God for the discipleship of the believer is when they put the Lord above themselves. They say, I'll do whatever it takes for Him. I look in the Word of God and I find uh, men that gave everything, everything. You see, the truth is, unless you're to the point that it takes faith to do what you're doing, you're not pleasing God. Because without faith, it is impossible to please Him. So if what you're doing does not require faith, then you're not pleasing God. Only that which is of faith is pleasing to the Lord. I believe she had slacked in her commitment to God. And probably she could look back on a time when she gave and sacrificed and worked and did more for the cause of God. I wonder today, are you serving God as much today as you did a year ago? Are you more faithful to church today than you were a year ago? Are you giving more? Are you praying more? Are you studying more today than you were a year ago? I propose to say to you that for a lot of us, it was better then for us than it is now. We were closer to God then. Than we are now. Now let's get to the sweet part. You know that calendar rolls over. And a new opportunity is given to us. Well I'm thankful that when I mess up. God will forgive me. I'm thankful that after countless days of unfaithfulness. God lets me kneel at an altar. And plead the blood of Christ. And gives me another opportunity to serve him. I was hearing again the passage. When Paul is speaking about his calling. And he said he was called. Not according to His own ability, but according to God. You know, the truth of the matter is, God doesn't use any of us because we're so great. I hate to break that to us. God doesn't use any of us because we're on His A-string. God uses us because we're willing. And today, tonight, maybe you look at your life and you'd have to be honest before God. You know, by the way, God knows what you've done before you even tell Him. You might as well be honest with Him. You might look to your heavenly Father and say, Lord, to be honest with you, I'm not as close to you as I used to be. I'm not as consecrated in my living as I used to be. I'm not as committed to the cause of Christ as I used to be. But I want to be. And I promise you, if you'll meet with the Lord, do you know what He'll do? He'll wash it white as snow. And He'll give you another opportunity to serve Him. It won't begin six months from now. It begins Today. If you're looking for an installment plan, God doesn't do anything on an installment plan. He didn't save you on an installment plan. And you don't sell out on an installment plan. You give it all over to Christ. That's selling out. That's giving it all over. But today, I promise you, the Lord will give you a new start. 2013 could be the greatest year that you've ever served the Lord heretofore, followed only by 2014, if the Lord tarries But you've got to take that step.